So I want to start with a story, and it's found in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus, and the crowds, it said, are pressing in on him. And he was standing near a lake, and I think he looked over and saw two empty boats. And they were empty because the fishermen that owned those boats were out of their boats washing their nets. And so Jesus got into the boat um, that was owned by Simon, and he asked Simon, can you... uh, take us out a little ways so that I can continue to teach. And we know today that that teaching off of the lake amplifies his voice. So it allowed him to be heard. And so Simon takes him out on the boat and Jesus continues to teach. And then Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, let down your nets. And Simon, I can just imagine Peter is like, are you kidding me? I've done that all night long. They had been fishing all night and they had caught nothing. And I, if I was Peter, I'd be like, do you see these blisters? I'm not doing this again. This is ridiculous. And Jesus like, just let down your nets. So Simon says, okay, I'm not going to catch anything. I think that Simon was probably, probably thinking, I'm going to prove him wrong. <laughs> like, I'll just do this just to prove to you that this is silly and pointless. So Simon lets down his nets. And most of us know what happens next. The catch was so large that it filled their boats. In some translations, it tells us their boats started to sink even because it was so heavy with fish. They had to call their fishing partners to come over with another boat to load in all of the fish that were caught. And Peter hit his knees. Immediately after that experience with the Lord, he hid his knees and he said, get away from me, Jesus, I am a sinful man. He recognized that he was in the power or in the presence of an almighty God, and he knew that he himself was falling short. And Jesus, I can just imagine the look on Jesus' face as he has Peter stand up and he says, you know what? If you come with me, I will make you a fisher of men. And that abundance that you see here, there's more where that came from. So come, follow me, and I will teach you how to go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the love that you poured out by sending your son. Holy Spirit, would you just come today and flood this room? Speak to our hearts as we desire to go deeper and further with you. Teach us what it means to be a disciple and to go into all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like Jamie said, we are in the second week of our new fall series called Come and Go, and just like Jamie, I'm really excited for this, where this one is going. Um, this is gonna be good. So, we're gonna jump in. First of all, let's just take a second and acknowledge the craziness of the world that we live in today. We have a worldwide viral pandemic, there's political unrest, Racial, racial tensions, an upcoming election that's very pivotal. It's like you can't even turn the news on without seeing more bad news. And is anyone else feeling weary of all of it? We're ready for it to stop, yes. For life to get back to normal, right? It feels heavy. But I think what's happening I liken it to an earthquake. God is shaking things up. 
He is shaking things up. Now, most of you have probably, well, actually, let me ask a question. Where do you go when you feel anxious or unsafe? Just think about that for a minute. Where do you turn to when life (laughs) is shaking? For some of us, it's a person, maybe a spouse or a parent or a friend, a pastor or a mentor, that we look to to be our rock. For others of us, there are things that we put our hope in. Excuse me. Financial security. Well, at least I have a job. Or knowing that our kids are going to be safe. Or we put our hope in our health, as long as I'm healthy. And we might trust Jesus. We might say, yeah, I trust God, as long as that paycheck still comes. As long as my kids are healthy, as long as the schools stay open, as long as I know what's going to happen tomorrow, I can trust Jesus. Well, the place where we go when we feel anxious, I heard someone refer to it as a God spot. Hmm. So who's in your God spot? Is anyone else curling their toes? Because I am. (laughs) getting stepped on a little bit. Well, I think what's happened, especially this year, the year of 2020, is that there are so many things that we put our hope in. Financial security, health, safety of our children, and all of those are being shaken. The foundation that those are built on are cracking. And when that is our God spot, it leaves us open and vulnerable and fearful. And we've seen a lot of fear this year. So some of us will call it a testing of our faith, and that's accurate. 2020, for a lot of us, has tested our faith. But what if we looked at it a little bit differently? What if we looked at this shaking, this kind of earthquake that we're experiencing? What if we saw it as it's getting out of the God spot, everything that doesn't belong there, so that God himself can be there? What if we can use this time of uncertainty to change the way that we think and get back to trusting God first? What if 2020 is an invitation to experience God and see him for all that he really is so that we can become believing believers? Not just believing in God, but believing that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And this is the heartbeat of the message, of the invitation to come and go. Experience God. Believe God. And then let that flow out of us. So come experience Jesus like Simon did that day with the catch of fish. See what Jesus is capable of and find out what he wants to do and what he's doing. And then we're going to let that experience change our hearts, not just our heads. It's not about just knowing these things. It's an experience in our hearts. And then we're going to follow him and we're going to find out what it means to be a disciple. And the next step is to go. Share that experience with others. So today, we're going to see that the gospel is meant to be experienced personally. It's not something that I can experience and then regurgitate to you. It's not something that Pastor Luke can experience and then regurgitate to you. 
Jesus is inviting you personally to come in and experience him. And then we're going to take a few minutes um, to really talk about what it looks like to share that experience with others in real and authentic ways. All right, so I have a question. Does anybody like a good road trip? I'm talking like eight hours plus, maybe a couple days. Yep. I do too. These guys do too because their destination was Florida last time, so it was worth it. Now, I've come to realize that when you're road tripping, there are two types of road trippers. So let's see where everyone lands. There is the, I am going to get from point A to point B as fast as I can, no stops, we're following the GPS. Okay, Jason Herzog, hand went up right away. Who else drives like that? When we're road tripping, we are just getting there, just getting there. And then there are some others who are like, you know what? There was a sign that said the world's biggest ball of yarn is three miles away. Can we take the exit and go see it? Like, I want to experience everything that is out there. Anybody like that? Yeah, (laughs) I'm like that. My kids are pointing to me. (laughs) I think our 16-hour trip to Florida uh, lasted a little bit longer because I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) We can stop and see this or stop and do that. So growing up, my family went on vacation, family vacation, the first week of every August. And my parents tended to be the like, let's just get there, and then we'll relax when we get there. And I understand as a driver, especially, and a dad, <laughs> my dad was like, just get me there, and then we'll, then we'll enjoy. Um, but there was a convenience store. So I lived in Illinois, and we traveled mostly westward for our vacations and a lot of time in Missouri. And there's a convenience store called the Come and Go. Anyone ever heard of it? All right, I see some heads nodding, yep. So growing up on our road trips, we had this joke because it never failed that when somebody had to poop, the next gas station was going to be a come and go. And so we always just got a kick out of that. Like we came and went, and now we're leaving. (laughs) And so that was kind of our big family, our family joke. Um, And I figured Pastor Luke talks about poop on a weekly basis, so I better throw it in just to honor him. That one's for you, Luke. So the come and go is a convenience store, right? The point of it is that you pull off. It's pretty close to the interstate, so you're not traveling for miles. You pull off, you get out of your car, you fill up on your snacks or whatever you need, you fill up your car with gas, you get back in, and you're on to your destination. It is a convenience store. It's supposed to be simple and easy. And if you were in my family growing up, it was also a place that you stopped to release, and then continue on your way. Now, the thing with this, with a convenience store, is that many of us treat the gospel this way. You see, a convenient gospel will get you from point A to point B. That's the the message of salvation right there. You're here, you can go to heaven. You can travel that way. And when we treat the gospel as convenient, what we tend to do is when we're running low, we're running on empty, we don't know what to do, we we pull off and find a church that's going to feed us. Or we might join a life group because, well, that worked for somebody else, so maybe that will give me what I need. Or maybe we pick up a new Bible study. We do those things to refuel, to continue to take us from where we're at so that we can get to heaven safely. 
But I got to tell you, the gospel, not convenience. It wasn't convenient for Jesus. Listen to this in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. <clears throat> Not a convenient gospel. It wasn't convenient for the disciples. In Luke 5:11, we read this. They left everything and followed him. They left everything after that amazing, miraculous catch of fish. What happened to those fish? I have no idea. They left everything to follow Jesus. And honestly, it should not be convenient for us either. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, when we reduce the gospel down to convenience, down to a destination, down to something just to help us get there in one piece, we tend to know about it up here, but we haven't experienced it here. Now back to a road trip. You can, everybody knows the drive-through states, right? You just put your head down and you get through them because they're boring. Illinois is one of those states. It is so flat. You just, you just want to barrel through there. Nebraska, Kansas, New Mexico. I mean, come on. <laughs> just get, get me through this. But if you drive through a state or a city and you don't stop your vehicle and get out and experience it, how do you know what you're missing? It's kind of like St. Louis. If you drive through St. Louis, you're going to see the arch along the Mississippi River. But if you don't pull over and go to the city museum and go catch a Cardinals game at Bush Stadium and go right up in the arch, have you really experienced St. Louis? Can you really buy the t-shirt that says you've been there? Probably not. Growing up on our road trips, my mom would collect little bells, little glass bells with each state that we had visited. And so we had them all in a curio cabinet. Um, but we never once bought a bell in a state that we just stopped at a come and go in. We bought bells to represent our experience in that state. And so when we treat the gospel as something just to get us from one place to another, when it's only about salvation, we drive through and we miss so very much. You see, the good news wasn't just John the Baptist's gospel, because he preached to repent and be baptized. It's a good step. That's not where it ends. The good news isn't even that your sins are forgiven. <laughs> I mean, that's good news, but that's not where it ends. The good news is this. Let me read it to you from Romans 8:11. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Let's, that's right. The good news is that the spirit of the almighty God lives inside of us. And when we pray, 
let heaven come to earth, we are responsible for carrying that out because everywhere you go, heaven is there. Heaven is there. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? So the good news is that we get to carry the presence with us. And when we learn to carry that presence with us, we get to experience Jesus in a whole new way. And all of a sudden, those drive-through states aren't drive-through anymore. They might feel like a detour, but there's something. There's something, an experience, a memory to be made, a connection to have with the Father in each of those places. J.D. Greer um, wrote a book titled Gospel, and I love how he says this. There is a difference in knowing that honey is sweet and having that sweetness burst alive in your mouth. Hmm. Being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing. Having its truth captivate your soul is quite another. The gospel is not just supposed to be our ticket into heaven. It is to be an entirely new basis for how we relate to God, ourselves, and others. The goal of the gospel is not just that we pass some kind of test by accurately recounting the importance of Jesus. The goal of the gospel is to produce a type of people consumed by passion for God and love for others. Being converted to Jesus is not just about learning to obey some rules. Being converted to Jesus is learning to so adore God that we would gladly renounce everything we have to follow him. The gospel is personal. It's meant to be experienced. It's not about head knowledge. It's about getting it in our hearts and living it out. Eric Gilmore wrote a book called Enjoying the Gospel, and he says it this way. I love this. Many people wonder why they are not pregnant with God's purposes or why they cannot give birth to the dreams that come from his heart, why they can't overcome sin or see the fruit of the Spirit consistently in their own lives. Well, ain't nobody got pregnant by holding hands. Eric says that a little, a little nicer than I do. Um, <laughs> come on, somebody. This is good stuff right here. <clears throat> nobody gets pregnant by holding hands. Mm. So if you're looking at your life and you're feeling like you're missing something in your walk with the Lord, if it's not exciting, if you're bored, if you're watching other people risk and dream and do big things and you're like, I'm just trying to survive COVID, oh, maybe you're just holding hands with Jesus. You're not pregnant with the purposes that God has for you have you really had an intimate encounter with the Lord? Now, Eric goes on to say this. I want to highlight some of these. Nobody gets pregnant by reading what to expect when you're expecting. Hmm. You can read the book. You can read this book. That does not equal an intimate encounter. Nobody gets pregnant by saying that they're pregnant. 
Now, I am all about declarations. Um, for those of you who I, I'm looking at Heather because <laughs> she knows this about me, I love being able to declare truth over my life. And generally, when I meet someone to counsel or mentor them, that is one thing we do. What are you going to declare? Or these are the things you're going to declare over the next few days um, as you change the way that you think. But we cannot declare that we are close to Jesus if we're not willing to do something to be close to Jesus. Nobody gets pregnant by desiring a child. Hmm. A desire is where it starts. But again, we're not going to get close to Jesus sitting down and wishing that we were. It's going to require something from us. Nobody gets pregnant by being in a committed relationship. That does not equal pregnancy. Commitment is where it starts. You have to commit to Jesus. You have to commit, put your hand to the plow, I will follow you wherever you go. But if you stay there and you don't do something to experience him, you won't ever experience that intimacy. And the last one is, nobody gets pregnant by knowing the methods by which to do so. You could teach the class. Doesn't really count in real life, does it? You see, without intimacy, there is no fruit to bear. In Eric Gilmore's book, he goes on to say, just like a pregnant woman cannot hide the fact that she has had an intimate experience, union with God cannot be hidden. And no one can reflect a light brighter than what they have actually seen for themselves. We simply must experience God for ourselves. It's just a must. Because what he has to offer, we are missing out on if we don't stop to experience him. And so I want to talk a little bit about how do we experience God? What does that look like? Um, as we were prepping this message and talking about it with Pastor Andy, I was like, what are we going to tell them? Like, because I went to Bible college and did not have an experience with God. And a lot of you know my story. I had all of the head knowledge. I learned, we studied Romans and Hebrews and the Gospels and all of the Old Testament books. I had it all up here. I knew exactly what to do. But I had not had an experience with God in such a number of years that it wasn't here. It wasn't in my heart. And so when times got rough and I got confused by life, as most 20-something-year-olds do, I walked away. Because what I knew wasn't enough to hold me close to Jesus. So experiencing God is not an option. Because we know, 2020, we've seen it. There is a great earthquake. It is shaking things up. Who is in your God spot? If you say it in your head, but you don't know it in your heart, it's going to be really hard to hold on when things get rocky. 
So I want to go into a couple of things of how we can experience God. And I'm careful here because I don't want to give you a to-do list. And I don't want to give you more head knowledge. And I also want to preface this by saying, don't look for me to say something in the next five minutes that's going to blow your mind. And you're going to be like, oh, that's it. I just have to do that. Thank you, Pastor Amber. That was great. Because these things are so very simple. But what makes them profound is when we're willing to stop and learn how to walk them out. And so I'm going to give you the simple. You get to make it profound with Jesus later. So one of the things that we need to do to experience God, and this one is just a must, you have to have time alone with Jesus. Man, I get it. Life is busy. It is tough. And we feel overwhelmed. But if we don't start carving out that time to be with Jesus, just him and us, him and you, it's not going to sustain anything. This summer, Pastor Kevin gave a suggestion of five, five, five. And I love this. Five minutes of prayer, five minutes of Bible reading, and then five minutes of silent listening before the Lord. Fifteen minutes, guys. Set a timer. On super busy days, I'm telling you, that's what I do. I have a timer on my phone. At five minutes, it's going to beep, and I'm going to move into my Bible. And five minutes later, I'm going to move into listening. 15 minutes a day. Get up 15 minutes early. Go to bed 15 minutes late. Carving out this time is not negotiable. Now, I want to say a quick word on the listening part. Because that can be really awkward when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, your mind is racing and you're supposed to be listening to the Lord and what does this look like? How do I do this? I'm going to tell you um, something that I do. I have a picture in my mind. And honestly, it's a picture of a beautiful big oak tree surrounded by grass and there's a river close by. And so when I come to listen to the Lord... I picture myself approaching this tree and sitting down next to it or sometimes dangling my feet into the water and I find stillness in my heart. And Jesus always meets me there. And some of you are going to have a hard time with visualizing that and that's okay. Find a painting or a picture that you like, something that brings you peace. And sit in front of that painting. Imagine meeting Jesus there. You see, God is a creative God, and I believe that he wants us to use our imaginations just a little bit more than we do. And so imagine that place. Quiet your heart and learn to listen. Also, something I've learned in listening is this. If you can think of a question before you come into your listening time, so I like to, during my prayer time, I like to come up with a question And then I read my Bible, and then I go into listening time. And when I'm looking for a specific answer, guess what? God answers all the time. So ask God questions. If you're not used to listening to God, if you're like, this is weird, I don't know how to do this, start asking God questions. Start asking God questions and then calming your hearts to hear him. Now, another thing I think we need to do when we desire to experience the Lord is we need to recognize that Jesus is, first of all, concerned with our nourishment and our rest. 
In John chapter 6, we read about the time that Jesus fed 5,000 people. And when we read it, you see that the crowds again were coming to Jesus, and he looks out, of them, out at them, and guess what his first thought was? Where are we going to get enough bread to feed these guys? The first thought of Jesus was, how am I going to nourish these people? How am I going to fulfill their needs? And then he told them, sit down. He ordered them all to sit down. And we know what happened next. The loaves and the fish were multiplied and everyone got their bellies full. But when we take a second and look at Jesus' actions in this, how can I feed these people? He's asking that about each of us. What does your heart need? How can I give that to you? How can I fill you up? And then he's going to order you to sit down. Stop moving for a minute and sit down. So Jesus can nourish us when we stop and sit down. Another way to experience God is just by being aware of God's presence throughout the day. Again, this goes back to asking questions, but really just looking, some people call them God winks or God kisses, kisses from heaven, looking for those little unexpected blessings. And then write it down. Put a note in your phone. Take a picture of it. It's kind of like dating, right? When you're first dating someone, you've got a shoebox under your bed and the movie tickets and the concert tickets and the dried flower petals and the notes and all of that goes into this box. And that becomes foundational for your relationship. So why wouldn't we do that with God? Start a box. Start a journal. When you, when you see him, write it down. Make note of it. And use that to build on future experiences. Because I promise when you start to become aware of him, you'll become more and more aware of him. So the gospel is not convenient. It's not a drive-through state. But the good news is that we can come to Jesus and experience and enjoy the presence of God in our lives. Now, as we learn to slow down and come to Jesus, we must be willing then to go and share our experiences in real, authentic ways. And next week, Pastor Luke is going to pick up on this, on using the gospel and not using the gospel, but using the not. I keep saying using. It's not about using the gospel. It's about coming to the gospel and loving others. Making that our, our anthem, love. And so I don't want to steal Luke's message for next week, but I do want to hit on a couple things because I believe that these are foundational to how we love the world. All right, so I've got another question. Thanksgiving dinner, who loves it? Most of us do, yep. So, um, any families that have one person that's in charge of all of the meal prep? All right, we've got a couple, yep. Most families, and you can raise your hand, everybody brings something to the table, right? Yep. All right, so that's how my family is, and that's how the family that I married into is, which is great. But as an adult, I have never gone to Thanksgiving dinner without bringing something to the table. And when I take my dish to the table, I have the intention of sharing it, and not bringing it home with me. So I take joy in watching my extended family enjoy whatever it is that I have prepared. And when they go back for seconds of your dish, you're like, yes. 
That's a high compliment. And the way that we have a complete Thanksgiving dinner in our, in our family is by everybody bringing something. Now I'm going to transition this to the church. Because our Sunday mornings here, they're Thanksgiving dinner. And there's not one person that's going to be able to provide the entire meal. We all have to bring something to the table. And whatever we bring to the table is going to enhance the experience of everyone else on a Sunday morning. When we bring it to the table, we bring it for the intention of sharing and for the joy of watching others as they glean from whatever it is we have. So if you don't make mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving dinner, you're not going to eat mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving dinner. It has to be the same way at the church. If we don't have greeters, we don't have greeters. If we don't have ushers to help us find seats, we can't provide what's not brought to the table. In our children's ministry, if we don't have teachers, we can't teach our kids. And so as we come and experience Jesus, it's all about bringing that experience out. I was also thinking about Thanksgiving dinner. My grandma um, was amazing at inviting other people, like people outside of the family, in for Christmas or Thanksgiving. But our guest never had to bring something to the table. They were just told, come on by, there will be plenty of food. My grandma would not have invited people if she thought that we were all going to drop the ball and not have plenty of food. Because you would not want to invite someone to half a Thanksgiving meal. And you would not want to invite someone and say, oh, by the way, you're going to have to bring your own child care. Come on down. Hmm. Thanksgiving meal, right here, Sunday morning. What are you bringing to the table? Now, I want to be careful here because in the come and go message, the go part is not just about serving the church. I want you to hear that. That's not, we, the church here as a family, this is a training ground. This is where we can start to try our muscles out. Am I a good teacher? I don't know. Maybe I'll teach elementary students and find out. Am I good at greeting people and making them feel welcomed? I don't know. Maybe I'll join the welcome team. I'm going to strengthen these muscles. But the point is the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all of the world and make disciples. So Sunday mornings we practice. We take care of each other in order to be able to go. I was thinking about taking care of our own and how important that is and how the world looks at that and they really, honestly, they judge that. If a church that's supposed to be full of love and full of God can't take care of their own, why do I want to be a part of that? It would be no different, my kids are up here, if they were running around in blue mohawks and earrings and cuffs and all of that stuff and swearing around the church, somebody would be like, wait a minute. I don't think Pastor Amber needs to oversee the kids' ministry because she obviously can't control her own kids. Or if they were dirty and smelly and hungry all the time, you probably wouldn't call me to babysit your kids or grandkids. 
because I'm not taking care of my own. It's just like that in the church. The world is watching. The world knows. Are we taking care of our own? In John 13, 35, Jesus said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The best place to start shining our light is right here with the intention of lighting the world, of lighting up Milton so that we can all point to Jesus. So loving one another is going to require more than just a quick stop for a treat at a gas station. You're going to have to get out of your vehicle. It's going to be an inconvenience. But we have to do it because the world is watching. And as we come to Jesus, what happens is those experiences with him will overflow onto all of those around us. So experiencing Jesus and going out into the world will be one fluid motion. I like to think of it as this, do we want to be a puddle of the Holy Spirit? And puddles can be deep, but it just kind of sits there. Or do we want our lives to be a river? I want to be a river. I want to be around others and let them get caught up in the love that the Lord has for them. So we are called to come to Jesus and then go into the world. And right now, I want to uh, walk us through, because I mentioned imagination. So I want to walk us through what I call an encounter with the Lord. And it might be a little, it might feel a little weird at first, and that's okay. But I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. We're just going to pray, Holy Spirit, come. We are here to experience the love of the Father. And as you're sitting here with your eyes closed, turning into Jesus, I want you to just imagine the Father pouring out his presence. Almost like a bucket of rain, just cascading down your head and over your shoulders. Start to become aware of the Holy Spirit's presence around you and in you. And sometimes God floods us with his presence. So maybe you, maybe you need a tidal wave today. So imagine the Holy Spirit of God coming in like a flood and catching you up in it. And I'm going to ask you to imagine. Imagine that you're at a pool party. And you're sitting on the edge of the pool. You feel the sun warm against your back. And the cool water of the pool on your toes. And you look up because you, you hear splashing in the deep ends. And you look over, and there's Jesus. And he is having a good time. And he has no worries and no fears. And you catch his eye. And the look on his face, those, those eyes of love. 
And so you stand up and you walk a little bit closer to him, still not in the pool. And you hear Jesus say, come, child. Come to me. Come in. You stand at the edge of the pool and you're watching Jesus. You have this desire to get in and join him. But you look around like, what are people going to think? Nobody else is in the pool and nobody's being as loud as he is. Can I really jump in? And then you look down to the shallow end and you see the staircase and you're like, well, maybe I'll take the stairs. Hmm. And Jesus looks at you again and he says, no, child, jump. Come experience everything that I have for you. And so you take a big breath and a leap of faith and you jump in that pool to join Jesus. And as you are interacting with Jesus in the pool and and having fun and experiencing the depth of his love and the depth of his presence, all of a sudden what everyone else thinks doesn't matter because you are with your true love. And so I want you to look at Jesus, look him in the face, and ask him a very simple question today. Jesus, What do you think of me? And the first positive thought that comes to your mind, maybe it's a word, maybe it's a picture, maybe it's an emotion. Grab a hold of that. Because Jesus only has good thoughts for his kids. So spend a second here with Jesus. Allowing him to whisper to your heart what he thinks of you. Jesus, thank you for this invitation to come to you. To come experience you to jump into the deep ends with reckless abandon and to enjoy your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Thank you for all of the blessings that are ours when we are in you. Jesus, would you let us encounter you this week? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you make yourself real? And teach us to be diligent, to take notice of what you say when you speak to us. So that we can continue to build a beautiful, intimate relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
All right. I hope that you had um, an experience with the Lord today. And I hope that you can take that with you. Because remember, we're invited to come, not for head knowledge, but to change our hearts.